up, everyone? I'm Marcus. And I'm Alec. This is another wonderful Strategize podcast. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about... Uncontrollable circumstances. Today, we're going to be talking about... Practical purposes. Today, we're going to be talking about... Just shooting the shit. <laughs> Maybe what we're talking about is... Obfuscation. I don't know if I agree with it. I mean, this is called the Strategize podcast. <laughs> it's all for one or one for all. And that's it. <gasps> There's plenty more. What up, everyone? It's Marcus. And I'm Alec. And it's another incredible Strataguys podcast. Woo! Yeah, that's right. Alec is obviously feeling better. We got a woo at the beginning of the podcast this time, so. He's not as sick, so that's wonderful. And this episode's not going to be as random. No. This will be about one of the factors that is often considered random, which is the effects of the other players on the game. But we'll talk about how they're not, how we can potentially affect those decisions, or what we can do about the decisions we can't affect. That's my biggest thing is whenever I'm thinking about games, I'm rarely pl- I'm, I'm not the roulette player. I hate playing roulette. I'm never going to go and like play a game that's completely random. I thoroughly enjoy thinking about what my opponent's going to do, and I really enjoy it a lot more when it's another human opponent. Yeah, it's more fun. I mean, it gives more complexity to your strategy because if all you have to do is figure out how the computer operates or how the odds weigh in your favor or not, you can probably look that up in a textbook, but you can't really, apart from studying psychology in depth, you can't really get a solid understanding of what another player in a game will do unless you test in within a game or within your relationship with them, however you want to do it. I think it's easy to feel that other humans are going to be completely random when they play the game. But in certain situations, I feel that you can start to think about and logic out how folks are going to interact with you in certain situations. Yeah, so a great example of that, of kind of like giving yourself a simple framework of understanding how other players can reason out their effects on the game is a prisoner's dilemma. Probably the most well-known um game theory problem that people are familiar with um basically you have two prisoners oh wait 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 let me let me set the stage oh yeah so (laughs) you know it's you and your buddy you're like damn gotta steal those diamonds or you know your wives are going to jail for murdering your landlord because he knocked on your door at two o'clock at night because you're being too loud so you're like, all right, I got I to gotta steal these diamonds to pay off these cops. You go to steal the diamonds and you both get caught. So now y'all are sitting in jail and it's now the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, so with that beautiful picture laid out for us, they've got, the cops have got uh, both of you in separate um, rooms. No communication between the two of you. You don't know what the other person is being offered or not, but they come to each of you with a bargain. They basically have enough um, information to convict you of something, whether or not it's the major charge that you're trying to avoid, which is the diamond theft, right? Um, They can get you on conspiracy or something else. So they know they can put you away for something, but they're trying to get at least one of you put away for that bigger crime. So the, um, the setup is basically if you confess or not confess if you rat out your partner they're gonna let you go free and they're gonna put him away for 10 years if you 
stay silent, they know that they can put you away for five years. There's also a part of this where if both of you rat the other one out, you're going to end up with more years on your sentence because you were both stupid. So they're going to give you both seven years. And if you both stay silent, they're going to put you on that minor charge. They're going to both give you, or they're going to give you both three years. Okay, so you kind of got a balance between all the things. So what happens is if you both cooperate with each other, if you both say, I don't think my partner would rat me out. I'm not going to say anything. He is not going to say anything. We're going to get this minor charge. It'll be okay. But if I'm self-interested enough, I can say he's not going to rat me out. So I'm going to rat him out. I'm going to get off this scotch-free. So you kind of see the balance starting to form of kind of what the decision actually uh, entails. And as a player in that game, you can kind of see what position the other player is in as well. Yeah, I think for me, the craziest part about the prisoner's dilemma is you're not friends with the other person who's in the cell and you guys are just two random dudes who accidentally, you know... Commit a crime together. Yeah, commit a crime together, (laughs) stealing diamonds together. So if that's you... And you don't know if that person, you know, like if it's me and I know that I, I can rat out the other person and not go to jail. But if I stay silent, and he rats me out. I'm going to jail for a longer time. You know, like I'm going to rat out that other person. There's just some random dude or female. Yeah, I think the unfortunate part of this kind of rational thinking aspect of game theory is that it's almost always better to like rat out the other person. Like that just sets you up for the decent rewards and in the case that the other person thinks you're honest you get the really good rewards i think that's a a downside because it doesn't quite represent reality and maybe that's my optimism speaking but i think there's a separation between what a rational person um like purely rational actor would do like in game theory versus what a um what a person would do in a real situation. Right. I think having more information, I really feel like information is key here. So there was a, a British game um, that was called, and I can never remember it, but I'm pretty sure it was called Golden Balls. And shout out to Radiolab for telling the story. But basically, in the last round, you can either choose to win or bin. Basically, what that means is like, you know, if you choose to bin your opponent, if both of you, if one of you chooses bin and the other person chooses win, then the person who chooses bin gets a million dollars or vice versa. So, like, if you choose bin and the other person chooses win, the person who hits bin gets that million dollars. But if you both choose bin, then neither of you get the million. And if you both choose win, then y'all split it. And so there was a, and more information is key here. So there was a person who was on there who, at the end, you actually get to talk about like what your story is and why the other person should either both go win or both go bin. And really, it's your opportunity to talk to the other person and get them to do win. Like you're going to promise that person that you're also going to do win. Because then if you both win, like you both get $500,000, like it's pretty good. So there was a guy and his whole thing was like, I'm going to go bin. He just told the guy straight out, like, you can do whatever you want. I'm doing bin. Because, like, why not? You know, like, you're 
Either the other guy can make a choice. Either both of them get no money or the guy who does bin gets a million dollars. Like, it's up to him. Either he can be vindictive or he cannot be vindictive. Because information is key and because the guy who can make the choice between either giving the, the gentleman who said he was only going bin a million dollars or not, he actually decided to say, you know what? I'd rather have someone have money than me not have money. So he went win and let the other guy go bin. So then, once they both make their decision, they both lock their golden balls in. I know, I really wanted this TV show. But they both lock their golden balls in. And, you know, the guy said, I was going to do bin. The other guy said, I was going to do win. So, on the big reveal, the guy who did bin actually did win. So they both walked away with 500000 But the reason why I did this was because by eliminating the choices for the other players in the Prisoner's Dilemma, you can box that person in like you can just get rid of all the choices providing more information like if we were going to commit that crime like i'm not talking you better not talk either but i'm not fucking talking so i feel like the more information you have about or the more consistent information you have about the actors in that situation the more likely you are to make better decisions moving forward yeah of course more information is always important i think um especially in these situations like i think the prisoner's dilemma is really limited in that aspect it doesn't give you any um real information to grab onto like they're giving like balanced outcomes um so that each choice is tempting and like that's the point of like how do you tempt a rational player um into making various decisions but i think um it takes away the aspect of like what a real person would do considering their circumstances um, more so than just like the, the raw deal in front of them. Do you have a better example than the prisoner's dilemma then for that? Yeah. So a really good example is uh, something called originally called the beauty pageant, um, which is about um, pictures of women in a newspaper and people writing in to figure out, what the um, readers of the newspaper would think is the most beautiful picture. Like, you're not trying to figure out who you feel personally is the most beautiful. You're trying to write into the newspaper and say, hey, I think everyone is going to choose this person. Like, that's the key difference. Yeah. Family feud style, if you will. Um, So in order to avoid the objectification of women we're going to go with numbers instead because those are uh objects and they hey i feel like uh (laughs) beauty pageant could have been a dude beauty pageant it for sure wasn't that's that's true it could have been no no this is canes in what the 20s so uh anyways so we're going to use numbers and in that case it becomes uh the two-thirds average game so of the numbers from 1 to 100, you're trying to guess what two-thirds the average of everyone's guesses will be. Uh, so if you have 10 players, you're going to add up their uh, guesses in between those, divide by 10. That's how averages work. But you're aiming for two-thirds the average. So if you start thinking about it rationally, you have, like, nobody's going to guess... 100 that's a stupid answer because it's never going to be two-thirds the average unless people are not guessing between one and 100 so your first instinct might be to guess 66 but that also doesn't make any sense because 
two-thirds to the average. Everybody has to guess at least 66 if they're thinking about the game at all, so your guess should be lower than that. And you keep going down. Um, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but the Nash equilibrium, kind of where rational players will eventually end up making their decisions, um, is down at zero. Uh, because you keep reducing the number until you've gotten two-thirds of every number to that point. If people are rationally thinking out the whole game, they'll take it all the way to the logical conclu conclusion, which is zero is the average. Um, but that's taking, again, the, the human aspect out of it. So you usually end up with people's somewhere in the, in the middle. Um, if they think decently about the game, they may end up with... 44 or um what's two-thirds of 44 <laughs> you know 30 ish you know um you get that far to um reasoning out the game you could go further but that's kind of where you think other players will will get to in their reasoning um, and you can actually see the effects that the other players have in the game, especially if you change those players. You can see different averages come out of different groups of people. I guess my question is, like, how would you use that as a tool? Like, if you played it multiple multiple times with folks, would you assume that the number would start getting lower and lower? So say you play it the first time, and the average is, like, two-thirds of the average is 50 then do you, if you play it again, do you feel like everyone's going to slowly start getting closer and closer and closer to that zero number? Or do you feel like right out of the gate, everyone's going to just go straight for zero? That's what I think is really interesting about the game is when you play it that second time, you don't get people like, oh, okay, now I understand it straight to zero. Like you have varying degrees of understanding of the game in the first round. So some people might not fully understand the game, and they'll guess 66. If you then play the game again, giving all the results, giving the average, and who is closest to it, they'll see the average, and they'll usually guess that average as their next guess. So if somehow 66 was two-thirds the average, then the next round, people will guess 66, so the answer will be 44. And it shifts down but you don't get players deepening their knowledge of how the game works they'll usually just shift down with what they expect the range to be so because they played the game the first time the options are no longer one to a hundred it's now one to 66 so they shift down to that range and pick a number that they think is reasonable and then it shifts down again if you play enough games maybe you get down to that average but the players are not adapting as much as we would think they would um, to the new terms of the game so i think the important part of this is taking the information from those players in that first play through the game and using it to improve your own guesses um, based on kind of how i've set it up so far you probably shift with those players of like not quite uh, understanding any better, just shifting down with the outcomes. Um, but you can better understand the players in the game based on their previous choices. And I think that's what's important in making decisions in games when you have other players to uh, navigate around, where you can have a reasonable expectation. Once you've seen them act, you can have a reasonable expectation of their future actions. 
um, and that's what's really important. So, say some of those players change, would you then use, like, is the information that you're gaining in the first playthrough with, say, you know, 10 A's? So, say if there's now, you're playing in the, if you're in the beauty pageant again, and you have 5 A's and 5 B's, would you still use the knowledge that you gained playing the first 10 games with those 10 A's? Or would you start completely fresh? Uh, with the same like players? if it was half the same players and then half new players or, like, any combination. Like, if it was, like, a new, oh, I see. almost a new set or a new set of players, like, would you use the strategies that you had in the first one to help you again in, this, in the new round of the beauty pageant? Yeah, I think that first round is always going to be um, rough, but that is an interesting situation where you get some of the information up front. Um you have incomplete information on the players so you use naturally use the information that you already have if you can somehow kind of group the new players in with some of the old players if you kind of can imagine how they'll uh, act you can make a little bit more inference but I think yeah you just take as much information as you can so if you have five players that you know and five players that are brand new unknowns maybe you average between um, what your original guess was and what your uh, newer guesses have been based on the new player or the old players. Hmm. Yeah, the only reason I bring that up is because I know that you've been texting me and letting me know that you've been kicking ass in Rocket League and going. So, like, I know that as you start to progress through the game, even though the constraint or the type of game is the same and you're still getting some of the same players, like, as you're moving up and getting better at the game, you know, like, you're playing more proficient players so i was wondering are you still using what you learned against the terrible players with the new set of players or how like how is that working out yeah so i've definitely seen uh the change in players recently kind of moving from um probably the biggest um league shift that there is in rocket league uh going from if you guys play rocket league challenge challenger elite to rising star that's basically like Um, going from uh Uh, I was going to use like German soccer leagues, but that's totally not the same. But for baseball, it's like going from like a double A or even a single A, which is like the lowest. Well, you can go to rookie, but like single A, you know, moving from a single A to a double A, double A to a triple A, triple A to minors. Yeah, it's it's an average player. It's going from bad to average, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Um, But But how does that affect like, yeah, how, how are you using the knowledge that you gain playing those players? in the new in the new version or the new league it's um it's interesting to see i i kind of relate it to it being an intersection of learning curves so um on one hand you have players who are you know gifted at moving their thumbs and moving their fingers who are going to get uh pretty far in the game by just standing on those skills alone they have quick reactions they have um an understanding of the controls that are going to get them to a certain point. And then you have this other learning curve intersecting with like the principles of um, movement within the game. Like if you were playing this game out on a field where you would have to position yourself, um, how you have to interact with the other players on your team in order to, um, in order to win, but in order to improve your gameplay. So what I was noticing is that, the players that I had just been playing with were all pretty proficient at the controls for the game. They were all, um, you know, flying up for the ball, hitting the ball quite frequently. 
but there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to what they were doing. Um, as a teammate, it was kind of like they were random. I didn't really have a good grasp on what they were trying to accomplish in the game. And maybe they didn't have a good idea of what I was trying to do. And there was a separation between um, teammates on kind of the goal of the game. And then you see these other players start creeping in, mostly in the league above me in the Rising Star, which I eventually got to, of um, players who weren't going up for every ball. They weren't flying all over the place. They weren't trying to be the next person to hit the ball every single time. Um, They were much more about watching their teammates, seeing when their teammates were going to go for a ball, getting in position for a pass, passing two teammates, kind of acknowledging that there are two other players, in this case, three on three, um, two other players on the field who are trying to accomplish the same goal, which is your side to win. Um, And it was really interesting to see those intersect because you see like the higher ranks are those people who are positionally minded and the lower ranks are those people who are uh, skillful but not quite um, grasping that they're supposed to be playing a team game. It's almost like playing the beauty pageant or the prisoner's dilemma without the other person being there. Like no acknowledgement of the other people playing the game and you're just like playing it for yourself versus actually acknowledging and thinking about what other folks are doing and then how you can best fit into that um, into that system. I think like that's the key difference that I wanted to get across with this episode is that there truly is a difference between doing the best that you can do as an individual versus taking into account what others can do and then making sure that you're incorporating that into the actions that you're doing. Yeah, and I think we've talked a little bit about both, but the prisoner's dilemma is kind of a gray area about whether the other person is a teammate of yours. Um, but it definitely applies to teammates. It applies to opponents. It can apply to people who are um, outside of both of those if they're neutral figures or just outside of the game itself. Um, I think referees can be a part of that situation. That If, like in a football game, say you have a referee that seems to be biased towards your team or the other team, you take advantage of it accordingly if you're wanting to win, I guess. I always want to win, so that would be me. Yeah. I I like to think I'm a good person. Not to say you're not a good person, but... I mean, um, that's fair. Yeah. Depends on the situation. If it's harmless. Most yeah, games, Most games, the outcome of which are harmless, but... Um, no, but I think that's, like, the, the real key difference between thinking about... I almost feel like that's the difference between a simple game like chess versus war, or, like in chess like yeah you're commanding an army and your pieces like you're in total control of the capabilities of your pieces like there's no difference there whereas like you're even though you're taking into account what everyone's doing you're not taking into account like what your pieces are going to do but like in team games like as a coach like you're going to be taking into account what they're doing yeah definitely and i think that is uh, a great point that we're going to go much more in depth uh with in the next episode kind of uh how to actually control the outcomes of a game when you're not the only actor uh for your side or even when you are and you have um some other things going on but i think we'll we'll talk about that later yeah and i think for me i I see this episode and, and really i feel like the transition between understanding what the game is through constraints 
And then understanding when things are truly random and not random and understanding like where that's coming from and how to make decisions on a very personal level. And then really thinking about what those decisions could feel like when someone else is sitting across the table or, or you have to involve another person in their abilities. I think those all come together when you're playing some kind of team sport or group activity where you're not the one directly in the in the situation, but you're shaping the strategy of those who are in that situation. So that's why I'm jacked, because I see this as a bridge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, tying tying the two together, tying like this idea that the world is random according to our perception of it, to our view of uh, the unpredictability of other people, and like figuring out where that line actually is, I think is really important for the development of strategy of like not taking the assumptions of how much you can control other people, how much you can control the environment you're playing in, not taking anything for granted in that way uh, can improve you quite a bit in strategic thinking. So that's what you have to look forward to on the next episode. I think that's it for me. Sick. That's it for me. I don't know when this is going to come out, but I'm really excited because in the real world, before this even airs, we actually just got on to iTunes, which I'm really excited about. So you can now subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, you can still check us out on SoundCloud. Big ups to them for letting you integrate into iTunes. Um, we're on Facebook. We're having content go out all the time. So you can catch us at facebook.com slash, and I spelled this wrong on the last episode. But it's Strata Guys, not Strata Gus. So it's S-T-R-A-T-A-G-U-Y. That Y is the important part, S. So Facebook.com slash Strata Guys. Yeah, we're also on Twitter, Patreon. I'm sure you can easily find us using the same name. They're varied a little bit based on whether or not it was available. But YouTube, you can check that out as well. And um, yeah, let us know what you think. Sick. I'm Marcus. And I'm Alec. And that is the end of another super strategize podcast. Woo!